Blog Talk Radio. Gonzalez of 
ESPN coming on, talking about women's soccer, talking about the sport, and kind of want to talk to her about Julian Green because, as I mentioned to Keith in the pre-show, um, Julian Green announced that he was coming, he was going to be an American to play, and I have a little issue with this, but not nothing too much. Also, what's going to happen sometime in the future, because I was given the opportunity to be a host, something I never thought would happen. I, I would have been perfectly happy, happy being the Keith Kokinda of this show, get, running the guests, talking and all that. And you're going to have to keep going, too, because Monica just called me, so i got to have to call her back here. <laughs> okay, that's no problem. Okay, hold, I'll be anyway. back. Hold on. Well, but anyway, we've got some, we've got some other fun. We've got some other fun going on, and we also have for the first show. And I'm gonna I'm gonna bring Keith is Keith is coming back off. What we're gonna do? What I was saying on this is we're gonna launch maybe two other shows. I, I'm in talks with three people that I, we have on here to launch what we call the sub bench. Now, what that is entailing is. There's going to be a. I envision this being the Stephen Brandt Radio Network. I had thought about doing this before NES and had come in to exi- come into existence. I'm giving them full credit for it. They're doing it. They're doing it wonderfully. But I want to bring the next group up because I was given the opportunity to do this and talk on the sport. So over the next couple of weeks, there will be people coming in, coming out. You never know. There might be some other important things coming on. We'll talk about the second hour. The second half of the show will be kind of with two with two people right now. Um, right now, Derek Ritchie of the Straight Red Card. I'm bringing him on for a couple of reasons, and I'll tell him the main reason. Keith doesn't know this one. Um, I'm bringing him on to talk about the MLS, the Indy 11. Julian Green, some some about the sport. Um, we're going to always talk about F, anything in the sport that we can. We got coming up next week. Also, I reached out to a bunch of teams recently. We're we're the yellow card. We want to talk to you. We're here to help you. The Wilmington Hammerheads of the USL came right to me and said, "We're fine. We'll help you." So next next week when Keith slides in and hosts, because now that I've got the now that I've got complete control, Keith is going to get one full show every month to do himself. I'm going to teach him how to. He knows already how to host it. He's going to be taught how to plan and everything. So it's his baby, and I'll slide in to do to do something else, or I won't show off one week just just to give him a little bit of a. Yeah, here's the great man again. Yeah, um, you may have to actually call her because she's on the Skype phone and I can't call Skype phone. <laughs> no, this is going to be interesting. Um, can you um, message it to me real quick? I'm going. I'm getting. I'm working on that right now. Way ahead uh, of you here. Yeah, well, yeah. that's a first. <laughs> I just, I just love my, I just love modern technology. Yeah, it's funny, and then okay. I was, I was telling All Keith. Right, I just, I reason, just sent it to you. One of the things I was telling um, Keith is that my dad, my dad's in, 
Argentina right now. My dad's close to 70 at this point. Now, um, he doesn't have a smartphone, but he has a Kindle, three laptops, and an iPad. And he doesn't bring any of them with him to Argentina. Don't cry for him, Argentina. <laughs> exactly. I love my crazy old man. Okay, let me see if I can do this on this one. Okay. Yeah, because I tried to call. I knew it was her, and I just, because uh, I got her voice, uh, she left me a voice over, and unfortunately I could not, uh, my phone would not let me call a Skype phone. Okay, let's see my here. Phone, my phone service won't let me call a Skype phone. Come on. Come on. Dial, dial. Dialing! Come on. Yeah, I sent her a text with the studio line, but uh, hopefully she gets it. But uh, I, I don't know if she did or not. Okay, let's see if I take out the... This call could not be completed because you're trying to reach a Skype user. Yeah, that's this what I got too. This call could not be completed because you're trying to reach a Skype user. Hmm. Let's see if we can do this again. This call could not be completed because you're trying to reach a Skype user. This call could not Hello, be completed Monica. because you're trying to reach a Skype user. Ew, that's not fun. No, it is not. Anyway... Hopefully she has the hopefully she has the number to call in. But anyway, well, I texted it to her and I'm sending her a message here as well. So hopefully, uh, like you said, hopefully she will get it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we can always we can always move it for another week. That's the great thing. That's the great thing with having your own show. You can you can move things you can move things around and talk to them. Well, next week when I when I'm off traveling to get my father. Keith is going to be taking over and talking with the Wilmington Hammerheads. We're trying to figure out a player or a coach for him, and we might we might have Boca Juniors next week. God forbid. We've got a lot of things in in play, and of course we've got what? got Derek what? Derek Ritchie at the Derek top Ritchie of the hour. And, yeah. Before we get to that, though, uh, I, since this has been a big topic, um, uh, the uh, Start of the MLS season, uh, pretty good start for a lot of teams, uh, uh, a lot of surprises uh, for a number of teams. Uh, most, uh, one of the most notable ones, Columbus Crew and Toronto FC. Uh, Toronto FC went up to Seattle and won 2-1, getting a, a brace from Jermaine Defoe. Uh, Columbus Crew, a big 3-0 win in D.C., a play, RFK Stadium, a place where historically the crew have uh, it's been a house of horrors they're trying to win in that, play, that old place. But, uh, of course, the big news with the crew came before the season started with their new deal with uh, Time Order Cable Sports Channel, which uh, unfortunately has effectively shut out a lot of people from seeing the crew because part of one of the provisions of this deal, and I still have not yet figured out who ultimately can change this, is the blackout for both. MLS Direct Kick subscribers and MLS Live subscribers. Anybody who is within a 75 miles radius of Columbus Crew Stadium, the only way to see the crew on TV, home or away, 
is on Time Warner Cable Sports Channel. Both the home road matches and the road matches are blacked out on MLS Live and uh, MLS Direct Kick within 75 miles of Columbus Crew Stadium. Now, first, first of all, uh, I, I do have to put in a disclaimer. I am a contracted uh, play-by-play announcer for Time Warner Cable Sports Channel. However, I am not part of the crew game broadcast, and as of right now, and I seriously doubt it's going to change, I am not part of any of the other uh, programs they will have, pre-game, post-game, mid-week, whatever. And this was part of the deal that part of made the main reason for the crew doing this is by going to Time Warner Cable, they're number one on the sports ladder. At Fox Sports Ohio, where they were before, they were always fourth behind the Blue Jackets, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Cincinnati Reds, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, they would always provide alternate channels to show the crew games when they were on simultaneously with the other teams, especially the Reds during the summertime. But that was all they got was the, was the game. And the crew felt they wanted to have be a higher priority and be able to put in more programs such as pregame, postgame. And so that was the reason, that was one of the reasons for making this move. But... Um, a lot of people uh, in Central Ohio who don't subscribe to Time Warner Cable are unhappy not only with the deal itself, but some of the statements that have come from the crew for front office people uh, in terms of uh, you know what what they should do if they do, how can they watch the game if they don't have Time Warner Cable Sports Channel and. Uh, I am hoping, and obviously all crew fans are hoping that this is something that can be worked out in terms of the um, in terms of the blackout um, for people who subscribe to either MLS Direct Kick or MLS Live, uh, especially for the road games. And that's that's the one that's the one that's really got a lot of people baffled uh, because this is and this is something that I noticed when I still had Time Warner Cable, which I don't anymore, that they carried. Uh, the Time Warner Cable Sports at uh, Los Angeles. They carry Los Angeles Galaxy games along with some of the other ancillary programs that they have. Now, I could see the other shows, the pre-game, midweek, and things like that, but the games were always blacked out, and this included the replays that were on the following couple of days. And that was one that really baffled me. I'm like, okay, first of all, it's in Los Angeles, so I'm not going second. The game is over with. This is the way I can go. Why would you black out a replay? That one I never could figure out. Um, Time Warner Cable, unlike uh, their prospective buyer, Comcast, which is trying to uh, get a merger, purchase, whatever uh, deal done uh, to buy Time Warner Cable, has shown a lot more willingness to have Comcast Sportsnet CSN be carried by other carriers uh, in, a, in an area. In, here in Central Ohio, most of the cable market is Time Warner. There are some in some of the outlying areas, uh, but Time Warner Cable has never shown any willingness so far to have their channel air on other providers, whether it be other cable carriers, AT&T, Uverse, or satellite providers. Uh, so this is one that's going to continue to be a big topic of conversation, and it's been it's been pretty the, the really disheartening thing about all this for fans is that. Everything we've seen so far under this new ownership uh, of Anthony Precourt has been at least an attempt to move in a positive direction. We're seeing upgrades to uh, some of the seating at Crew Stadium. A new video scoreboard is going in, uh, albeit that was kind of forced through the scoreboard fire last year. 
Uh, there have been renovations at the trading center uh, down in Obet, southeast of Columbus, which is a real surprise because the crew for a number of years have been looking to get a new trading facility someplace, and there has been speculation off and on that that this that the crew would want to have a new stadium tied in with a new trading facility. And, of course, when Mr. Precourt bought the team, the talk revived of trying to uh, maybe possibly put a new stadium downtown uh, to go with uh, the Clip- Columbus Clippers uh, minor league baseball park as well as the arena where the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets play. So, probably, if you want, the social media reaction was, was pretty much what all this stuff they did that we liked, and all of a sudden they're turning around and slapping us in the face like this, uh, which was the perception out there. It's, it's going to be something the crew need to fix in some fashion or another, uh, especially, again, with some of the responses that crew front office people have had in regards to possible alternatives. So one of the things uh, the crew have talked about is to set up a network of sports bars and pubs around central Ohio where people gather to watch the games, uh, of course, you know, for, if you, but if you want to bring kids, not all those kind of places will allow you to bring kids along. So, uh, you, you know, what, what, one of the things I'm, I'm waiting for here in the States to happen is what, what they have overseas is crew TV to be a real TV station. Or like Buffalo, FC Buffalo has its own TV station, Toronto FC Kind of like what MUTV is, what LFC yeah. TV is, where you can throw really the games on, where you where you can like see. Now I'm a little bit different than you, but it's and I'm saying and for those who are just listening, um, I will gloss this before. I'm 15 years younger than Keith. I grew up listening to the listening to games on the radio because I wasn't allowed to watch TV. So like. Over the weekend, when there was the Man U Liverpool game on TV, and I'm not going to give you too much crap about that one, um, I had I had the radio on over the over the TV. I mean, I had I still had the TV on, obviously, but I, I think what we need to have around here is that we need to have a big radio network that does the games. I mean, yeah, I know with with podcasting and with the Internet now, I mean, I can listen to the Timbers broadcast on my phone here in skinny Atlas, New York. But we need a talk sport. We need ESPN FC to do this. Or we just need need someone to put billions of dollars behind Keith Kokinda and have him do all the games. Also, I mean... I see what you say, but I also have a problem with this: is that I don't think the fan, I don't think these teams actually care. I really don't. I, I, outside of maybe some of the smaller teams, I really, really don't. Ah, drop the line again. Hey, Keith. Oh, hey, it's Monica Gonzalez. I didn't. It's. Hey, Monica. Hello. How are you? Good. It's, it looks like Keith has just dropped, but I will, I will bring you. Uh, you're from ESPN. Ah, here's Keith again. I, I'm, I'm glad to see that you. Fi- I'm glad to see you finally made it. 
Yeah. Hello, Monica. Yeah. Sorry about the confusion there. No, that's all right. Pretty easy. Pretty easy stuff. Calling from skies in Mexico City. So. Okay. So that's I probably why I couldn't get through to you. Go ahead, Stephen. Well, one of the things I want to bring you in on, obviously you, you get to cover the MLS and you get to cover a sport. Um, what, one of the minor things I've been reading about about the women's game is that when, the women have just lost two games in the last month, and there is a fear that they're falling apart. Can you settle those fears for the majority of us? Um. Well, I don't think the U.S. team has ever fallen apart, and I don't think they ever will fall apart. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly, you know, what happened or why they lost, but it's it's also, you know, they've had an incredible, they've gone on an incredibly long streak um, of wins and just destroying people. And I think I think it's probably a good time to sort of work different things out, try different, um, you know, try different players, try different combinations. Um, it's, it's now's the time to do it. You know, they've got a year and a half. So I don't, I've, I'm not worried about them at all. They're so good. They're fine. Is- they have tons of players. And, and it's, it's time, you know, to, to bring in some, some younger players. And I saw Tom Sermone, you know, would have uh, Rampone on the bench and, and, and bring some other center backs in, and if anything, that's that's going to hurt the team a lot when she when she leaves, just because how many players have, have missed out on the opportunity to, to play center back because she's been playing there ninety minutes for the last twenty years. <laughs> yeah, she, she's the last she's the last player left who played on the nineteen ninety nine team. So yeah, she's, so she's think, been the last so player like the last five of a, years. Yeah. You think it's more of a bump in the road or a blip rather than possibly some kind of long term thing coming? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, no, they'll they'll ne- they will never be a long term issue on the women's national team. There's too, um, there's too much talent in the United States. Um, if you know, if if a player or a series of players isn't working, um, you know, if a coach comes in and has a certain style and and the players that are there aren't working for his style, he can go out and find players that fit his style, and they're still going to be a competitive team. And on the, and continuing on that point, whereas we're going into year two of NWSL, and the majority of the players for all three North American national teams, Canada, United States, and Mexico, are playing in this league, uh, how much does this help Tom Sermani, uh, knowing that almost all the, the almost the entire potential player pool for his team is playing here in the United States? You're the one exception was Megan Rapinoe, who was playing for uh, Lyon, I believe, in France, but she was even able to get out of that contract, really come back and play a couple of games at the end of last year, and now she's playing for Seattle Reign full-time. Is, with this, with, I guess kind of a two-part thing, does this set up help Tom Somani and the national team, and do you think that this setup uh, of the Federation's paying these players is the best possible business model for the long-term sustainability of the NWSL? Um, you know, it took us, I, would, I wouldn't originally say that it's the best business model, but we've, we've just tried it two different ways and it didn't work, um, you know, in the last 12 years. And I think the way they're doing it now, you know, 
um, U.S. soccer is very smart, and they know that they're doing this not because they want to have a pro league in the United States and make a lot of money, but because they know that that's the best thing that they can do to help the women's national team and to help win World Cups. Um, So I think the structure of the league and the fact that they're helping out is based solely on that. Um, And I think it does help, absolutely, because if, you know, the U.S. national team players can't be in camp all year round. They've got to to be playing somewhere and to have them all over the world – you have to have camp, you fly him in, long hours of flights here. You know, he's got an eye on all of them, plus the younger, upper, you know, the up-and-coming ones. Um, you know, if you look back, like the, in WSA, Shannon Box was a player who wasn't even on the radar for national team, and because of the way she played in the WSA, um, made her way onto the national team. And there's going to be players like that that, you know, come out and maybe were under the radar on the youth national teams and, and then just do really well in the league. And that's, that's why you have to have a league. So um, it's, it definitely benefits the U.S. national team. We're also seeing some growth at the, uh, at the WPSL level. Uh, there's been, I think, about a, a dozen teams uh, that, have been, that have been added uh, for this coming season. Um, do you see uh, the potential for players maybe to make some kind of mark there and get the attention of NWSL clubs and be able to make that jump up? Yeah, they should be able to. I, I think most teams have, uh, most pro teams are, you know, have their either W League team or WPSL team that they're associated with or plays under them. Um, and and that's, that's a great opportunity for young players. That's kind of what I say to, to players who either didn't go to college, you know, didn't, don't really feel like they're going to, you know, didn't make the draft or didn't show well in an open tryout, like they can go and play for the WPSL or or the W League. The problem is it's it's not a job. You know, it's not, it's, you have to get a job or you have to go find something to do and this is what you're doing in your free time because that doesn't pay. Right. So that's yeah. the difference between men and women's soccer right yeah. now. Yeah, it's, it's a long uphill climb, and this is, and this is, and your colleague Julie Foudy wrote a column on ESPNW a while back, making a making one of the point, one of the points she made about this is talking about the women's game and women's sports in general not being able to even come close to what you see for the men, and even the WNBA is subsidized in large part by the NBA, and one of the things David Stern insisted on what he when he was commissioner of the NBA is that NBA TV contracts were also tied in with WNBA TV contracts, which was a, a reason was probably the big reason why they didn't last that long. And you know, people would say Julie and others would hear people say, Well what about you know, what about Title Nine and uh, and things of that nature and she made the point, you know, this is a business. You know, this is not this is not a university where you're dealing with federal laws and stuff. You're talking about a situation where where attitudes have to be changed, and and there's and there really there's no law you can pass in, in that regard. And, and I'm and I'm speaking from the male perspective here, and I fully understand that there are a certain percentage of men in this country who look upon women's look down at women's sports, don't think much of it. They think it's a bunch of well, you can you can guess the negative stereotypes and terms and insults and things like that. Because I'm sure you've heard that sort of thing in various quarters. 
What's the, it, is there anything? It looks like she it? actually dropped, Keith. But she we dropped. actually had oh. some. It looks like she dropped it and having Skype on from Mexico City. I, I want to thank Monica for making <laughs> it, trying to make this yes. work. But we, we, have, we have the next best thing. Derek Ritchie's online. Yes. Hello, Derek. Welcome back. And uh, ready for ready for the first season of Indy Eleven. Hey, Derek. Can I haven't you clicked him? right. I know it. Hey, Derek. How are you doing? Okay. Uh... <laughs> We're working out the uh, bugs here, I guess. <laughs> we're, we're, we're working it out. Hey, hey, Derek, can you hear me? Oh well, well. Anyway, we'll still we'll still talk because you know Keith, Keith and I can talk uh, talk our mouths off anyway. So anyway, you know. Well, what it, I, I, the thing I was going going where I was going with this is is that to change people's attitude in regards to women's sport. It's a very difficult. It's going to be a very difficult battle, and I understand. There's a certain percentage of the population you're just not going to convince. I get that. I, again, yeah. I, I'm a man, and I understand how men think sometimes. And it's not always pretty. It's not always right. It's not always politically correct. It's not always the way you want to hear things. And I also understand that a certain percentage of men out there watch women's sports, and it's not the sport they're watching for. And I get that part. And I get that part too. This this is kind of I liken it to that what I always call the magical formula to try, to convert kids who play soccer people who play soccer as kids and as teenagers and into high school and change them into ticket buying and TV watching soccer adults. You know, it, whoever comes up with these magic formulas to change most of those is going to be worth more money than Warren Buffett and Bill Gates combined. It's going to be amazing. Nobody has been able to figure out why it has taken so long, and it's still an ongoing process, why people play soccer as kids all the way up through high school levels, maybe even college if they get that, get that lucky. But they don't necessarily go and watch the game on TV or buy tickets to go see these. It's changing. It's probably a lot higher percentage now than it was, say, uh, when MLS got started. But it's certainly, you look at the TV ratings, it is certainly, if you say, okay, you know, 20, 20 years ago, there were how many million kids registered with AYSO and whatever playing soccer, but they aren't watching the games, on, they aren't watching the MLS games on TV for whatever reason. And, uh, and then, you know, while the attendance figures have been wonderful, especially the last few years, we've seen them creep up to the point where they compare with the NBA and the NHL, uh, the TV ratings haven't followed and the TV ratings are so important uh, because of the fact you need every view you can get to make it more appealing to advertisers because you're fighting that uphill battle and not having the in-game commercials. All right, and I think Derek is back online. Welcome, Derek. Okay. Uh, oh, hey, this is Matt Hoffman. How are you guys doing? Hey, Matt. How's hey, it going? Man. Surprise, surprise. Hey, I'm great. I, I, maybe you guys thought I was Derek. I was just going to listen in and wish you guys good luck on your new... Uh, your new rebrand. I'm uh, actually uh, calling, doing a little bit of research here. I know this uh, soccer team uh, that might be doing a rebrand and just kind of, you know, uh, you know, want to compare uh, pig, pig swaps. 
Okay, yeah, oh, good, good idea. We hope we hope uh, we hope we do well in comparison to whatever Chivas USA becomes. So we are, we appreciate we appreciate your confidence in us, Matt. <laughs> oh, Chivas USA is going to rate. Oh, I, I'm talking about someone else. But yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, who are you talking what about? about? The you guys sound the great so far. You guys, how are you guys doing? Good. You know, you know what's funny about you calling in, man? I was actually going to text you before the show and say, hey. Do you want to pop on and sit at the seven o'clock hour? But they're not, he's probably off covering something, or at the Hollywood <laughs> studios, or or, or trying to find, or trying to find the meaning of life out there in um in Orange County. I just got schooled by my eight-year-old at his tennis lessons right in front of the Michael Cage uh, basketball camp. Um, oh really? So yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty sad. Um, yeah, Michael Cage is like, damn. So you're right. Uh, Andy that, Murray there. Good work. <laughs> yes. Michael Cage next plays for the I hope this next one is. Exactly. I hope this next one's Derek. It is. Okay, good. All right, finally. Derek, finally. Finally. <laughs> finally, at least we had someone on. It's someone on. Well, Derek Ritchie is. Derek Ritchie's on, finally. We've got. Matt, we've got Matt Hoffman and Keith Kokinda. Now, I started off the show with saying that there was an other ulterior motive why I have Derek on. Now, mm. you and it's, it's actually a good one. Now, Derek knows that I'm not the original host of this show. It was it was Eric Nash, Cesar Diaz, Eric Krakauer, and Simon Allen. Well, when I took the show over. Simon Allen calls me personally and says, listen, I don't think I can do this because I have some other stuff to do. You need to find this, this guy I know in, Indian, in, in, in Indiana. He's been doing a podcast since the beginning of time. I, I figured Simon was exaggerating. You need to call on this guy. And he's like, yeah, here, just go find, the, go find this one. You know who it was, Keith? Derek Ritchie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was Derek I Ritchie. Yeah, and we all know if you if you want to if you guys want to find Derek Ritchie online, he's one of the hosts of the Straight Red Card. Find it find it on YouTube because a lot of their classic shows are up there. And there's one, and I've mentioned this on the old show many times. Simon went kind of nuclear, and he was right on this in the long run about talking about how Tim Ream is horrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I wanted to have you on, Derek, because obviously, with you being with the Brickyard Battalion, you get to see the sport. But you're also an MLS fan. What 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 did you see in the last, first two weeks that that impressed you? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because there was something in particular that did impress me. And thanks for having me back back on and making me sound really old, but that's all right. Um, what really impressed me actually was um, Toronto FC. And I mean, my my first thought was, well, we'll just see how this happens. Um, but the way that those guys played together in that first game, um, with a whole lot of new faces. You know, Dave Rosario coming back, you have Defoe, you have Bradley in the middle, and, geez, it's almost hard to believe, but Julio Cesar back in the goalkeeper. And you've got a really reliable center back 
and Caldwell, too. And they just really looked pretty solid against, you know, what you would think would be a pretty together Seattle team. You'd expect them to play well See, that's at home. what I was going to say. Consider the opponent. You know, it's going to get tougher from there. They actually have to play, like, good teams. <laughs> well, you know, Seattle should be somewhat reliable at home, and they tend to be. Of course, that pass uh, from Papa to Defoe uh, or to start that that uh, uh, attack for Toronto was really pretty repulsive. And anybody that thought that Papa was going to be a good replacement uh, for the stellar player who left, um, I think it's sadly mistaken. They're just not the same type of player Rosales was. But I'll say this. Toronto looks like the real deal to me, and I, I'm not one to make uh, rash judgments or make a decision based on one game, but uh, I think they're going to be really uh, hard to beat this year, and I think they're going to be solid as hell, and I think Toronto folks should expect um, to make the playoffs for sure this year. I, I, can't, I can't believe I'm saying that, but, yes, they look good. <laughs> Well, what did you see with – I was impressed because I, this is the first time I've gotten to see Chivas without having Alicia uh, having Alicia's website up at the same time because I got to see the um, Chicago game a couple weeks ago, and they're looking a little bit different. They may not be the run-through that they were last year. No, uh, Rosales is completely taken off. I mean, where he left in Seattle, he's got three assists on the season. Um, in his first game, he managed to do what no Chivas player was able to do last year, which is score a goal off a corner kick. They had one goal off the set pieces, which is part of the reason they only had 30 goals last year, which was last in the league. I mean, this is the team that, uh, the only team that over three years has been unable to score more than um, 100 goals. Every other team has had 100 goals over the past two seasons, not Chivas USA. Um, which just kind of talks about with all the different players and different lineups and coaches and methodologies or lack of methodologies has never been able to put together till this season. Uh, you know, this has been um, a great, great season, um, and they um, they really handled Vancouver very well. Um, they lost a man uh, in the 12th minute, and, and one of their their um, prize imports uh, this year, and Augustin Peltieri. Um, but yet, the, you didn't see this team park the bus. They, they were still attacking, and in fact, um, they scored a shorthanded goal right before the half. And, uh, and again, this is this is Mario Rosales. Uh, he picked off Nigel Rio Coker pass, played it right to Eric Torres, and Torres, um, you know, did what he does. He hit his second goal uh, game with a goal. He's picked right back up. I mean, this is yeah. And the funny thing is, this is a guy who's thrilled. We, we kind of wondered what the mindset of Eric Torres would be. Um, you know, he was brought in under the Guadalajara system. Um, the, one of the first things uh, Jorge Vergar actually said upon leaving was, you know, Torres is gone. He's out of here. He also said um, that Bofo was gone, too, at which point he said, uh, yeah, we actually have Bofo on the contract. And then um, later, Nelson Rodriguez, the team president, reiterated that, uh, that the Chivas USA has the option to buy Torres' contract out. So we kind of wonder what we get. And after Burnley scored the game winner against um, Chivas USA, I don't know if you noticed this, but Torres just ran over them, jumped on them, to like almost like, had me kind of removed off. I mean, just just the excitement, the acceleration that he has. It's it's been great. It's been a very exciting start. Um, had Cubas hung on for the win, it would have been the first time they scored. They won the first two games since 2009 when they made the playoffs. 
but which would be fun for you guys out there. I mean, get, actually get actually having two teams out there that are worth it are, are, would be good. I mean, you guys are probably so sick and tired of hearing Galaxy, 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 that actually having a second team, whatever it's going to be next year, if it's going to be Los Angeles SC, Los Angeles City, Los Angeles FC. Right, and Los Angeles. Oh, it's fantastic. And it's great, too, because next year is also when, uh, when NYCFC comes into existence. And I don't know if you guys saw the New York Times article today about Jason Christ and his time with the Manchester City party. I mean, it's, it's going to be very exciting. I think next year is going to be the most exciting season since uh, the Cascadia came in, where you see two inner-city big league rivalries, because already there's, there's already some permanence in there. You know, the Galaxies are cosmopolitan team, they're your, your Beverly Hills, your, your, um, you know, your money team. And um, he was always had this kind of, like, leftist sort of proletarian, um, Morrissey kind of, you know, bent to it. So, you know, the, 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 the striking thing is that, after they won their first game, only 6,000 people came on Sunday. Not great numbers. But so it's, it's weird, but I think, I think next year, I think if they get a good season going, this is L.A. I mean, people, you know, come, you know, at the, you know, at the 15 minutes of the game, they leave 15 minutes before it's over. I, I, think, I, think, um, I think they're going to have a viable product by the end of the year, and I think people will come. But I think a lot of people are right now kind of a holding pattern, kind of like, what, what are we going to make of this? And, and again, this is just kind of, to be honest, um, you know, they've been kind of sold a false bill of goods for the last 10 years. I mean, every year it's like, oh, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to do this. And it's just, you know, you know, it's like kind of fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me 10, 10 years in a row. That's shame on me. Yeah, it seems like the finally this is the season they start out without a gimmick. It is what it is, and they're moving forward. No gimmicks, uh, you know, nothing out of the blue or, or, or unordinary. And I was going to ask you as well, as far as the Chicago and Vancouver home games, did you see a pickup in attendance uh, for those two games after the start against RSL? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, a uh, uh, little over eight thousand for uh, for Chicago, uh, a little over six thousand uh, against uh, Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, granted, um, you know, maybe not the most exciting. It'll be interesting to see. Like, so they go, they go off on the road now. They go to face Dallas this weekend. They'll be facing New York Red Bulls a weekend from now, which I'm personally really looking forward to see because I'm really wondering what Vancouver team is. I, I tweeted after the game that uh, that Vancouver is like a, a riddle locked in an enigma that's a puzzle or something like that. Because this is a team that went and completely just destroyed, dismantled the supporting, you know, supporter shield winners. And um, it took them 80 minutes to get a goal. It took them 60 minutes to even get a shot off against a 10-man um, you know, team USA team. So, you know, so the question is, and I was talking to, to, uh, to my editor, um, Scott Fretz, and we're like, you know, is this Chivas or is this Vancouver? Like, what, what's the, what's the, uh, you know, what, what's the, um, what's the difference here? That's a good question. No, but yeah, uh, uh, Willa Cabrera, he deserves a lot of credit. He's he's been yeah. great. He's been a great. He, he, you can kind of tell, like, you know, they brought in good coaches. It's not like the first time they've hired a qualified coach. 
but you could just kind of tell that he's got, um, you know, you know what it is. It's like, um, and what's I'll use a football analogy. Football, like you know, American football. Um, they talked about how Mike Shanahan was in a tough situation because Robert Griffin has this great relationship with Dan Snyder, Daniel Snyder. And and there was always there's always something else going on. There's always something hijacked the relationship between the coach and the owner. The owner being Jorge Vergara. Well, Vergara's out of the picture now. Uh, the league's running the show. Um, Cabrera's you know been with the league. He's been in the league. And Nelson Rodriguez is you know the number two guy running the league. So both these guys are on the same page. And so you're just seeing like a, a united front that you've never really seen with this team. Okay, do you think? Do you think? Do you think Cabrera is, in a way, kicking himself for not being still with the Rapids because he could have had that job now that they took till what thirty seconds before kickoff to to name Marini the head coach. You know, I actually don't know about that. I, I wonder that by myself because uh, you know when he because he took the job. And it was like right about the time when that whole dynamic was kind of breaking down. And so I kind of wondered, geez, you know, you got this really up-and-coming team with Colorado. Why go to Chivas USA? And that, and that was before any talk about the league taking over, any talk about the rebranding, any of that stuff was taking place. So, um, you know, I haven't really asked him yet. Um, and I, that, I think at some point I might. But it, it, is, it, it just makes me wonder, like, you know, why would you – you know, leave, you know, what what was, you know, if, if he was, if he was like, you know, surely someone would have talked to him before if they wanted him to Colorado. It just seems to me that that would have been, gosh, I mean, not not to diss Chivas any more than they already are, but it seems like a no-brainer. I mean, when you look the way that, you know, that the, the trading pad that, you know, that Chivas is, you know, how they, how they just, just this history of eating coaches and just chewing up and spinning them out. I mean, five different coaches since 2009, Six different coaches. Excuse me, he's a six different coach. Um, but so far, so good. Maybe he knew something ahead of it. Maybe he was tipped off. I mean, who knows? Well, I would say the front office at Colorado um, has had at least a history of being a little bit of, of micromanagers, and I think that even if you're you're, if you have and you understand that reputation, uh, mm-hmm. you might might prefer to go to Chivas where you can have a, yeah. a bigger impact and have a bigger say. It wasn't like Gary Smith. He had like a falling out with the, the, the PR guy or something. I mean, some some guy you wouldn't think would have that much power over the coach, but you, know, it's like, you wouldn't even think would be related to the coach, really. But, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's weird. Gary's, it's weird. Yes. Gary Smith won MLS Cup. Colorado and he was gone the year after yeah. you know I mean yeah. something something's not right if the guy that just took what really was sort of um not the, the, a team full of stars in any way you know some mm-hmm. really dependable players and made them MLS champions and then the guy you know can't even feel comfortable enough to hang around for you know another season that says something about what might be going on in the Colorado uh, front office, and and uh, I think that it's at least a hint as to why maybe Cabrera said, you know, I'd rather go uh, coach a team that has been, you know, horrible for a number of years in a row, where I might I feel comfortable and I have some say in what happened. You know, it, it, that's a really good point. You know, and, and it's worth asking. You know, like what 
either Pablo Masseroni, who, you know, let's face it, he's, he's not just some schlub. I mean, this is a U.S. national team captain. He won a championship for him. He was captain of the team that won. I mean, you know, it's, uh, what, what was the problem? Just saying, yeah, he's our coach. He's our guy. I mean, what were they waiting for? That's the <laughs> point. That's a good question. Maybe they were looking for somebody else because, yeah. you know, you know, taking a risk on a, a, a guy that's never managed before, like Pablo, it can come back and shoot you in the foot. I mean, um, I mean look at what Olsen's going through right now in D.C. I mean, he started off good, but, you know, as far as player management and, and uh, you know, uh, trades and, and getting yeah. the right guys and then putting together a, a team that's reliable for the, you know, last year and, and now again starting this season – it just isn't looking good. And does that mean that Olsen maybe wasn't the guy for the job at the beginning? It's hard to say, but it's sure looking more and more like that. So you're, you're always well, taking a risk, you know? If I, if I, let, me, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you this question. And, um, let's, let's look at Ben Olsen's career. Say, say you know, you have what it is. You know, first year, made the playoffs, second year, you know, you set the futility mark for a few wins in the season. Is that worse than what happened at Philadelphia with Peter Nowak. Oh, yeah. I mean, you. I. I don't know if it's worse, but I can tell you this: that what happened with Nowak, um, you know, I don't think was surprising to a lot of people that know uh, Peter Nowak. I. I think that, you know, uh, I don't think old schoolers like that um, are going to last right now in this league. I don't think that attitude and that approach to, to player management works anymore. Um, it may have worked five or ten years ago, but I think those days are over. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna have much of a career in management after this. After that, but yeah, I mean, I know what Simon would say about Olson, and I know what Simon says about uh, a lot of these um, new coaches that come straight out of playing in MLS and then now all of a sudden find themselves in the driver's seat as a manager of a, an MLS team. It's, you know, he, he would probably contend, and maybe rightly so, that most of them shouldn't be there in the first place, that there are other options and that some of these teams just aren't looking long and hard enough, or in some cases, like in Colorado, maybe just aren't willing to give up as much power uh, to, to a, a bigger name that they might have to uh, going that direction. Well, here's the thing that I've been wondering is you have two months ago on Fox Soccer Daily, Stuart Pierce openly say, I want a coach in America. Openly yeah. says, I want a coach in America, and nobody touches him. Now, yeah. maybe because they're yeah, he openly says to Warren Barton, "I want to be, I want to coach over here." Well, here's a couple Nobody things you have to remember here to go to go to your point, man. There is unfortunately we're seeing the same mentality creep into MLS that we see in the other sports. People, front offices want a quick fix; they want to win now, and sometimes name value carries a lot more weight than it should. You, you, you just you never know what you're going to get when you put a guy in who's got you know, who's playing the league and doesn't have any coaching experience to speak of. Uh, certainly, soccer to me 
has been a little bit more of an exception of the old adage you see in the other sports where you say mediocre players make the best coaches and managers. Soccer is a bit of an exception. We've seen some pretty good players around the world become pretty good managers. Kenny Dalglish is probably the best example in that respect. And so what, we, what, you're, all, what you're also seeing, and this points to you, said, Matt, you get front office politics can be pretty Byzantine sometimes. And you bring in a guy like a Stuart Pierce, whoever makes that move has got to be able to put a little bit of his own ego aside because you're dealing with a guy with a tremendous pedigree, certainly a CV that very few of any MLS managers can match. And you just, if somebody wanted to go on that limb and take that kind of risk, you see this in the other sports quite a bit where you just where people are unwilling to risk it, whether it be a hiring practice, the way a team plays, whatever the case may be. You know, so, but this, I believe it was Confucius who once said, the only way a turtle gets anywhere is if he sticks his neck out. And I would love to see somebody hire Stuart Pierce to come into MLS. It would be wonderful for the league. Uh, certainly whatever team hired him would benefit immediately. It's just a question of who's going to have the nerve to make that bold step. Well, I would add this, though. Um, I would say that it, it wouldn't be the first time somebody tried that um, certainly we've seen it in Toronto, we saw it in uh, L.A., and we saw it uh, briefly in, uh, in well, for a couple seasons at least in New York with coaches that did have experience over in Europe and came over here yeah. and then had yeah. kind of a, a rough time of it. And for whatever reason... I think reason, the only foreign-based managers won is Terry Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and they have a rough... A lot of... Uh, people would say, well, you know what, it helps to understand what MLS is all about and how, um, how it works, because there's all kinds of funky little rules that, that they don't have to deal with uh, in Europe, that they do have to deal with here. And um, so, you know, there's the other side of the coin, which says, yeah, you could bring in a guy like that, but then he's got some time, he's going to have to have some time to adapt and get used to the system and blah, blah, blah. Now, whether or not, you know, that's a fair rationale. That's a whole other story. But you do hear that side of the argument as well. Well, it is getting to be more and more of an international league. It's um, it, it is exciting, but yeah, it does. It definitely seems that the management side is just you've got to be you got to be American. You know, not not like not a racist thing. Yeah, see, this is not like bringing in foreign players. This is not the mm-hmm. same thing. You're giving a guy power in this case. This is not about selling tickets. It's not you know, when you bring in these foreign stars, you bring because they sell tickets. They want to come here and add some leagues prestige. This is not the same thing. You're dealing with power. You're dealing with power issues. You're, like you and you mentioned, Matt, with happened with Colorado Rapids and how mystifying that whole situation with Gary Smith eventually leaving because of that. Whatever whatever happened between him and the front office. And it's, you know, you look at, uh, and, if you, and it's, it's, again, it's not just here. Look at what we've all been reading about the Zen master, Phil Jackson, finally going back to his old team, the New York Knicks. Believe me, you think that James Dolan 
didn't think long and hard about bringing a guy with that kind of pedigree and giving him that kind of power. Sure he did. He had to because, you know, this is not like, this is not like whether or not to re-sign Carmelo Anthony. It's not the same situation. So it's, it, it, you know, MLS is a little bit different because there are some quirks as far as rules, salary cap, things of that nature is concerned. I think a smart guy like Stuart Pierce wouldn't have too much trouble picking up on that, especially uh, since that kind of information is obviously widely available to be online or wherever the case may be. It's not like right. yeah, you come over here. Yeah, I thought you come over here and you know, deal with this and you're you know what they have right. to for? You know, find out what's going on in MLS. There's no problem right. there at all. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, certainly there's like an MLS or dummies book out there. <laughs> Dan Cordemont's rolling, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, it's called not not doing it the way D.C. United has done it. The other, thing I, the other thing I was seeing, and it was kind of a funnier type of question, but um, Jason Davis pr- proposed this, God, about a week ago. Let's, let's think about what happens if the United States wins the World Cup. We go in this year and somehow sneak through and beat Mexico or beat Italy to to win the World Cup. Outside of Detroit burning to the ground, <laughs> I was going to say, outside of Detroit burning, Even that burning won't to happen. the either Detroit burning to the ground, what does that, what would, and now we're playing hypotheticals here, what would it mean for the pyramid of the sport of a World Cup win for the United States? I'm not sure as far as the pyramid, the structure of the game, how much of an impact it's going to have, especially in the short term. What it's going to do is, go, it will, to me, it will be a seismic shift in how the, the people who don't, in terms of people who don't pay attention to soccer, suddenly start paying attention to it. We see this in other sports. When something happens on a worldwide stage that's either huge, one way or the other, whether it be a, a loss or a win, it changes things. Perfect example, the America's Cup. Up until 1983, very few Americans paid any attention to the America's Cup. But when America lost it, Things change, and things change drastically. And now look what it's and look what a big event it's become. You see the exact opposite happen in America with soccer in terms of the public perception. More pop people wanting to pay attention to it. When America does well on a world stage in a sport, in a sport that the rest of the world plays that we don't, it changes things. Look at the Olympic Games. You know, look how many sports you see out there that. We pay attention that we that don't get paid attention to a whole lot. But if we do well, all of a sudden it creates a big media buzz and it creates a big public buzz as well. This it would be a game changer in terms of attention devoted to both by people as well as the media. Now, whether the structure of the game changes, who knows? The question is: Is that interest going to translate into more people going to see games, not just at MLS but in the NASL and USL Pro? It's something that uh, you know, with the USL Pro in particular, uh, w- would hopefully benefit from, as well as the NASL, for the simple fact that you know, it, that, you know, attendance will certainly, for the most part, don't approach what happens in MLS. And while you know, and 
and Derek, you can attest this to the NASL. It's the the idea is you you're you're in some different markets that aren't necessarily have been thought of as traditional soccer markets or or um, or trying to do things in a big way. So this is something that people in those places are going to sit up and say, take notice more of. Now, but again, whether that can provide any change to the structure, the pyramid structure, would remain to be seen. Certainly, uh, the potential would be there, uh, especially in terms of you know the possibilities of uh, of, of promotion relegation, some kind of uh, combining of leagues. You know whether the league powers that be uh, would be interested in that. Who knows? But certainly. Uh, fans were probably a little bit more of an interest in that. What's that? Yeah, I mean, somewhere somewhere in Denver, Ted just lost it. When you said, (laughs) Oh, is that where he is? Okay. I have no idea where he lives. I've been trying to figure out where he is. Yeah. So, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I believe that was Keith, but I couldn't tell. First of all, if we win the World Cup, I would look up in the sky and just make sure none of the pigs that are flying hit you as they fall. But second, second, I would say this. If we won the World Cup and most of the players and a lot of those players, a good percentage of them are from the MLS, which they look like a good chunk of them will be, it certainly would not have any effect on the pyramid at all. In fact, it would probably just justify and confirm for guys like Don Carver that what they are doing now and how the pyramid is set up and that the current system they have going was the best thing for American soccer. It would do... It would have no effect on their thinking about the pyramid at all. In fact, it would continue to drive them away from that idea even further. They would say, see, we are doing the right thing here, and we're going to keep it up. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't think... Yeah, that's a good point to make because one of the things, and I pointed us on the show, is the thing that makes soccer, there's many things that make soccer in America unique, and one of them is you've got a governing body in charge of the whole thing. They're the ones that sanction the league. You don't have that in the other sports. I mean, I know there's a USA football thing, but they're more concerned with, with you know, with so much safety and uh, these little minor international uh, events they hold in the The other leagues don't have to deal with that sort of thing. And you know, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, but when leagues got started here in America in sports, Nobody thought to do a promotion relegation system like they're doing in Europe. They probably didn't even know it existed, maybe. I don't know. Well, that, that's what it was. And I know there are people who make it, and you just mentioned one of them, there are people who make it sound like it should be, a, that Congress should be passing a law requiring promotion and relegation. And I don't that's necessarily buy said. into that. Personally, as I've said before, if I can wave the magic wand that would make promotion and relegation a realistic financial uh, possibility. I'd have waited five years ago. I think it'd be great for the game. I just don't see it happening because of the the, finance, the, the money just isn't there, number one. You couldn't do it because you have to share revenue across the board, and that's just not going to happen. And even if, you did, even if it did happen, you don't have enough of it. 
Hey guys, can I cut up for just yeah. one second? Hey, yeah, I, I'm sure. so yeah. sorry to uh, sabotage your show. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your first show, guys. You sound great. Thanks for letting me come on. Oh, anytime, Thanks. man. Our pleasure. Believe me, no sabotage there. Trust me on this. And, and, and to, to fill his spot, and I, and he's going to love this. I've got Russ Goldman on. <laughs> hey, Hello, man. Russ. I, I am well. The- listen, I I just wanted to call in and and, uh, and basically congratulate you guys on on the on your first show. We'll call this your first show. So I just wanted to call. It is the first show. Well, thank you. I wanted to call and thank do you. that, and also I wanted to congratulate Stephen because his team Liverpool is going to win the Barclays Premier League this year. Well, that's my I, prediction. Well, no, I. That's the Man United crowd. Um, I, I was joking with Keith, I was joking with Keith before this that now that I have the board to myself where I can put stuff in, I went, so I went searching for soccer sounds on a website, and you will love this, Russ. I'll find it for you. There is there is a site that has cheer. It says soccer cheering. Craven Cottage. Oh wow. Yeah, so I have it loaded in on our board. It says Fulham, Russ shows up. So that, that's basically Craven wow. Cottage. Wow. Well, well, yeah. it's, fu- it's funny that you say this, Stephen. You're probably not aware of this. I'm sure, Keith, you're not aware of this either, but this is... This is actually a, a, a very big anniversary for Fulham supporters. It's the oh, yeah, four-year anniversary of the uh, the match that Fulham beat Juventus at Craven Cottage four to one in the Europa League. Now, now for 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 fans of other teams, it, it really means nothing, but to Fulham fans, it means everything. This is absolutely, probably absolutely. This is probably one of the biggest victories in in the history of the club. You know, you could argue which. Which match means more? But this is one of them, and uh, and the Clint Dempsey goal, I will argue, was was the greatest goal ever scored by by an American in a European competition. Um, Amen. You know that that chip that he that that he did was incredible, and I I've actually been been just reminiscing back and thinking it's been four years. I I, I just started as the editor of CottagesConfidential.com at that time, and I get this thrown into my lap this great this great match of uh, Fulham beating Juventus 4 to 1 in the second leg and uh, in, in dramatic fashion and it's a match that we that we you know again we all look back and we, and we remember we we embraced the Europa League like I, I I I don't think that there are many other clubs that embraced it like Fulham had and that's why you know when I look at that competition and people laugh at it 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 actually bothers me because uh Fulham supporters and and the uh, and the club itself appreciated what that gave to Fulham. I mean, it, it really, you know, again, it, it, you know, Fulham might never ever get back to a final again in my lifetime, and I had the ability to see one, and that's still an amazing accomplishment. And and uh, it wouldn't have happened if if Clint Dempsey doesn't score that goal against Juventus. And and today we've. You know, all the fans have been looking back at it and thinking it's been four years. And, of course, now we look at, at what's going on with Fulham and we think, what has happened in those four years? It's, it, it's kind of funny, but, but uh, it's actually been a great day for me just to, to reminisce and think about all the good times. 
Yeah. The golden days and, uh, for us. Yeah, by, by, by the way, Rusty, I, I, you saw my uh, New England Patriots tweet that I uh, sent to you earlier this week. <laughs> um, I Refresh my memory, Keith. There, it was about a couple of the players trying to sing. Oh. Yeah, well, what happened is funny. Dee Dee Reese, who used to work uh, at CONCACAF, had tweeted that, and I saw it as being Patriots-related. I figured you want to see it, so I, atta- I retweeted it and attached your name to it. Dee Dee thought I was trying to start some kind of Twitter battle or something. I had to call her and say, no, 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 Dee Dee, he's a Patriots fan. He does a Patriots podcast. I wanted to make sure he saw this. This was not meant <laughs> to start anything. So, so I just nope. I wanted to make sure you saw that one. No problem, Keith, no problem. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and listen, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really happy for you guys. I'm, you know, I hope you don't mind me calling in today just to, you know, again, wish you guys the best. And, and I really, and, and, and again, Keith, nothing against Manchester United. I, I actually was – was uh, surprised of how poorly they played. That's that's one thing. Yeah. But uh, well, I did watch this match. That, I'm sure. I did watch this match against you know Liverpool and Manchester United, and two things st- stood out to me. One, uh, one Liverpool are the real deal, and if you look at the rest of their schedule, it's doable. They can actually win the yeah. Barclays Premier League. They really can. They, it, 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 they this can, isn't a pipe dream. I don't think they will. I think they'll finish second behind uh, behind um, Chelsea. I just I don't think they can be overtaken the way things are going right now for Chelsea. I'm not trying to knock Liverpool. No, and, I know, uh, I, I, I know. But Keith, if you look yeah. at the schedule, if you look at the rest yeah. of the fixtures, the the three hardest hardest home games. Uh, hope I, I I can say the three hardest games that Liverpool have left are all at home against Man City, uh, Chelsea, and I I can't remember what else. I want to say Tottenham. And their hardest away match is on the road against West Ham. So think about that. Yeah, they, the, schedule, the schedule is very favorable. Yeah, for, it um, is favorable. But the, you know, a couple things that came out of that uh, that game that I saw that yep. um, you know, way to me right on both counts. Number one, we talked about Liverpool at the end of last year, and I said they were going to be forbidden the top four this coming season. I thought Brendan Rodgers was the right guy. It turns out that's true. But I think it also further proved that David Moyes is not the problem. These are pretty much the same guys who were playing for Sir Alex last year, and it's become yeah. obvious, and some other people worry about this, they were playing over their heads since Sir Alex got one more trophy. It's obvious now that that was the case. This is yeah. pretty much the same team for the most part. I mean, getting Juan Mata was good. He needs more time to fit into things. Making sure Wayne Rooney and Robin Van Persie have replaced their future even better. The problem, the real problem for this team has been at Old Trafford. Guess who has the second-best away record in the Premier League? Manchester United. Second-best away record. If you had told me in this place season that Manchester United had the second-best away record in the Premier League, I'd say, hey, they're going to finish top four, no problem. They have been horrible at home for whatever reason. They've scored as many goals at home as Fulham have, if you can believe I knew that. that. I actually, I actually yeah. did know that. Yeah. This, 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 these players are not playing the same. And in a lot of cases, they've gotten older, and now changes have to be coming. There's been some talk. ESPN had a report about the board at Manchester United meeting and maybe talking about Moyes being sacked after tomorrow's Champions League match, barring some craziness against Olympiacos, because right now, the only way Manchester United get back to the Champions League next year is to win it this year. They're not finishing top four. It's that simple. 
the board, they have to give Moyes a full summer and the money they say they're going to be spending to go and get the, get the players he needs, especially in the back and midfield. Because well, this Keith, team, Keith, Keith, you just nailed it. He, he needs his own players. He doesn't have his own exactly, team. Exactly, exactly. To, to change managers now would be, would be the, the wrong thing to do because it's it, it just because again, it's a quick fix thing. Manchester United are not historically known for doing this. Remember, they gave Sir Alex a few years before he won a trophy. They got to give David Moyes at least until the end of next season. They've got to yeah. give him a full start because they didn't. He didn't have the full summer to go and make any moves. And when he finally got got in there and it was finally a done deal, he didn't have time to make the moves he made. There's some players they're targeting. They've said they're going to spend some money, and uh, they've got well, they've got but they. They had the simple fact is this team has to now if they don't finish top four next season okay yeah then maybe Moyes needs to go but they've got to give him at least the summer to change the squad because he needs some revamping he needs some younger players he's got the key guys that he needs right now who have committed or in the case of Fred Percy Mooney and in the case of Mata have in place uh, having acquired this year. But they need some more help. They're going to need some more help in the back because you're not going to have Ferdinand and Vinich anymore. Uh, you're going to need some help in the midfield as well. So that you know, some things have to change. Uh, I, th- I think, and this is purely personal speculation because I haven't seen anything about it, but I have to wonder about Javier Hernandez's future with this team. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I'd that, sell him. Has, I would sell yeah, him right away. They, I think I would they should for the simple fact, even when you had the injury problems with William Van Persie, he wasn't playing that much. And um, well, well, here's and the you thing: know, you, talk, you talk about Liverpool. You talk about Liverpool. Obviously, Liverpool. Uh, it, it's funny. Bobby McMahon was talking about this as well. You, you find that in the history of Manchester United, Liverpool, since when Manchester United came back to the first division after their last relegation. It's always been one team has been really good, one team has, has been you know mid table or vice versa. You've never seen them both at the top over the last forty years fighting against each other. That's got to change for Manchester United. They've got to find a way to get back into that top four next year. Otherwise, you know they're facing that loss of revenue uh, from the Champions League, and that could be a problem. Now they've got some they've got some things in their favor. You've still got a team that you know that name Manchester United still means something to a lot of players. A lot of players are still going to want to play there. They've just signed they've just signed off on the new Chevrolet shirt sponsorship deal, and they're about to finalize the new Nike deal. that's going to be worth like some like six hundred million dollars. So, but they've got this has got to be a, a blip on the radar. Otherwise. You're seeing a long-term 10 to 15-year rebuilding project to get this team back into the top four uh, because revenues are going to be hampered. You've got the debt that the, the Glazers are running into. And I have to wonder if the, uh, if the specter of the Glazers being selling a part of the team might come up again because there's been, there's been some company, a private equity company, that's been buying up shares recently and has driven the price of the, the shares up to some of its highest levels in the last couple of years. So it's they've got to they've got to change things this off season, and I think the only proper way to do it is to give Moyes the opportunity to do that and do the things he did at Everton in terms of bringing players that fit in well with the players he has and the way he wants to play. Right, and and Keith, here's the rub because again, you just brought up a very good point about Moyes. Um, I turn on the TV, I turn on the radio. 
there's so much heat on him right now by the media. Oh, yeah. Basically, the media wants him wants him gone. I, I'm not kidding. They they oh, sure. you know you know they start up this this uh, this I guess you could say campaign. When is David Moyes going to be removed as man? When is he going to get sacked? And once you start down that road, they don't give up until he's gone. So that's also part of this problem here. If you ask yeah. me, David Moyes should should be given given through the summer and and next season. You know, again, that's me talking. I agree with you. I'm just telling you that will the Glazers blink and will they will they uh, fall to the pressure that they're that they're going to be under because they're getting yeah. it and, and and I'm hearing it left and right. I'm hearing it. I'm hearing oh, people are expecting him to get to get sacked after this match tomorrow. You you said it yourself. You know, sure, a lot of, it's been speculated a lot, and, and the thing it's the thing with the Glazers is the one thing, the one thing Smart TV did in this whole scenario is they made sure Sir Alex Ferguson had input in the next manager, and that's very important. They've got to put some trust into people such as Sir Alex and Ed Woodward, who didn't do a very good job last year during that summer window in terms of trying to target the right place. Because they got to start working on that sort of thing now. They've got to be ready as soon as the season ends to start trying to get new players in. And the, you, you, these people, and again, this is what, one of the things about Manchester United with this board, is they have been resistant to that sort of outside pressure, and they've really got to develop a hard shell to resist that. Because like you said, the media is all over this. They, they love nothing more than to be able to speculate who's the next manager going to be, how limited the choices are because all the best managers that could be, they could have targeted, are already tied up and they aren't going anyplace. This is going to be a very important test for the Glazers especially to say, hey, fully on what you bozos in the chief seat to saying, we're going to do what we think is best for the club. If you, you know, we, we think David Moyes needs, needs more time to fix this and we've got to give him the money to be able to fix this. If they can do that, I think this can be turned around but if they go ahead and sack him, I, I'm just afraid you're going to see a uh, drop into the you know, the middle of the table, uh, and it's and it's going to be a long time before they can climb out of that and start contending for European places again. Yeah, well, well, it's well, funny, it's funny, uh, Keith, because you just said it. You just said that that you don't think that they will, and uh, you could be right, and I'll tell you why. Uh, a few years ago, and 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 listen, this is this is also something that that continually comes up. The pressure that they have to sell Manchester United uh, yeah. keeps coming up, and and uh, there's a I guess you could say uh, it's definitely not a silent minority uh, that wants the Glazers to sell, um, you know. And uh, it keep, you know I remember a couple of years ago. I mean it, it was a it, it was a serious campaign. They never sold. Yeah, they they never what, sold it. They never you know. You, you know, and again, the media was on this like it was going to happen. Never happened. And you know what? They're only going to sell it unless they want to. So maybe you're right. Maybe they won't buckle to the pressure. Maybe they'll just stand up to it and do the right thing. Because I agree with you. I think getting rid of David Moyes now would be a huge mistake. Now I do want to I do want to switch this because I don't want this to turn into the uh, Manchester United half hour. <laughs> I feel I can leave that to next week when Keith is taking over because he can do ninety minutes on about why Manchester United needs to change and say the well, same Stephen, thing. Well, Stephen, I'd love to talk to you about Liverpool. <laughs> well, 
that would be, that would be good. I would love to have that, but we've only got ten minutes left. We had something big come on, and I'm glad you're here and Derek's here. Um, Julian Green announced that he was he's going to make the switch to be I saw that in America. Yep. Now the the great thing about this is, and I have Twitter up as I'm doing this. Friend of the show, friend of well everybody. Um, Alicia Rodriguez is going off on a little bit of a rant right now on Twitter. Go follow her, folks. She is the queen of Chivas or whatever it's going to be next year at Soccer Musings. Her point is, and I kind of agree with this, and I was talking to Derek in this during for the show, is that I'm kind of worried this is becoming Freddie Adu-like. Is we don't know what he's going to be. We're looking at we're looking at him, and I'm going to liken this to Derek, um, Diego Fagundes also, yep. is that he's a shiny thing that, oh, we have to get him, we have to get him, we have to get him. Who knows what he's going to be? He's 18, for God's sakes. We just we just had a spastic Freddie Adu moment, and the United States has this, I mean, yeah, Freddie Adu is the last one to have this happen. But we got to tread carefully, folks. Well, can I give you a player, Stephen? Stephen, I'm going to give you a player that that actually, I'm not going to say he came from out of nowhere, but you're going to remember this player. He's actually playing for the New England Revolution right now uh, that that actually featured in the last World Cup and uh, was fairly young. Charlie Davies, you know, got into that horrific accident. Uh, so, so it is possible to do this. It is possible to come kind of out of nowhere and be a part of the U.S. men's national team. But, but like you said, the pressure is a, uh, a great deal. And, and in the case of Fagundes, I, I don't even think it, I don't even think they're, they're talking about this World Cup. Maybe the next World Cup for him, I don't which, think which to me would be the right move. I, I think he's, I think he's too young. But what? I, well, I don't think it's even possible with Fagundes because he's not even an American. No, he's not an American he, citizen. So, so it, so, so there's a whole process. He might not even be able to. I want to say, you know, again, I was looking at the timeline. The timeline could, it could be a long time before he actually uh, could be able to play for the U.S. Men's National Team. Yeah, so it's not even Jared. Did Jared say Jared DeBois say that realistically, if if you go down. If you kick the tires with Fagundes, he's going to be at least 24 before it. I did even see that. Attempt. Yes, it's, I, and I would trust Jared over a lot. But Jared Dubois has been doing this. I, Derek might even know because Derek, you've been you've been podcasting for what? You've been podcasting and doing soccer stuff for what? At least five years. Well, actually, writing probably more closer to 15, but yeah. So you know of Jared Dubois before he got the best soccer show. I I don't know him that well, no. But he, but he's got a name in the sport. But and I I was wondering I I wanted to bring you in on this, Derek. Um, do we are we making too much of Julian right now? Yeah, I mean right now uh, I think some people are, and some people are being realistic about it. Listen, he's got to be better than Freddie Adu. Uh, he's 18, number one, so uh, and he's still playing, you know, in in the youth system at Bayern, and he he has got a chance to barely get to play for Bayern Munich. So I think maybe we're we're going too crazy too early. I have to agree with you on that. It doesn't hurt to get him lined up and at least 
start the conversation with him and then have him, if this does turn out to be something, you know, wonderful, then, you know, he's on our team, right? But I think thinking that this is a good candidate for um, the, the world upcoming World Cup, I think it's too soon to say. I, you know, he's a good kid, but again, we have to keep in mind he's he's not he's not even a regular with on the Bayern Munich team. He doesn't even get into the 18. He doesn't even ride the pine. All right, I mean this 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 kid is still playing basically fourth division ball for you know the junior Bayern team, and he's going to need some time to develop. Now, um, is he the future? We'll see. Of course. Um, we have some issues and some holes. He plays out left, right? So we, we need a guy who can play out left on a consistent basis because certainly down the line, Breck Shea's not the solution there. And I think that, you know, it doesn't hurt to, to bring him into the fold, but thinking that he's ready for the next World Cup I think is, is going too far. And I have confidence that Jurgen Klinsmann is not going to just bring some guy like this along for the ride Um just because he's a German-American. That's just not going to happen. I think um, keeping the team uh, together, the team that's been together, the core team, the, the core 23 guys that I think most of us suspect are going to go, which does not include Breck Shea in my mind, um, is, I think, the key at this point. We're too late in the game to add another new face. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Jurgen Klinsmann uh, is ha- obviously very happy about this. But but I think you're absolutely right. This is this is for the future. You know, this is this is you know, this is a kid who yeah in the 2018 World Cup he continues to develop. Yeah, definitely could see him making it there. But I don't. Th- but to liken this to Freddie Adu, I think is wrong because this is not a kid who we've been talking about for, you know since he was 10 years old, um, like we did with Freddie Adu. This, this is a guy. You know, he's been play, He's been working his way through. Yeah, he's playing at Bayern Munich, and while yeah, it's, it, he's, no, he's not even getting into the the, the the team, the first team there. Let's say that that's hard to do at Bayern. There's a lot, there's a lot of guys, a lot better, a lot more experienced than Adrian Green who would be able to get into that first team of Bayern Munich. That's for certain. But to be able to be there and train with these guys, it's going to develop, and he's not going to get this idea. He's not going to get this idea and said that that he's you know the the next big thing. So that's going to help too. I I think. This is a move. This is going to help down the line, four to eight to twelve years down the line. It's not. It's definitely barring something very, very strange. You're not going to see him going to Brazil. That I can. That I can assure you. And well, his, coaches, his coaches do not well, want him to play. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. The people at Bayern uh, do not want Julian Green to join the U.S. team because what does that mean down the line? If Julian Green is uh, the kind of player Bayern wants to keep and, and continue to, to grow and then play on that club on a regular basis, that means he's taking trips all the way to some Central American company uh, or country during qualifying. That's just that take, that's a lot of wear and tear. It's almost some of the oh, same yeah. reasons that, that Timmy Chandler's uh, manager, you know, who he looked up to as a father figure, also said no so many times or would come up with an excuse for Timmy so he didn't have to go all the way to El Salvador or Guatemala or wherever we were playing at the time. It's uh, it's it's really rough. It's, it's tough on the body, and um, I think that's uh, a lot of reasons we saw guys like Zabadich. I mean, he made that decision in, on based on a lot of things, but I'm sure one of those things was travel, time, 
uh, and and just the effect on on the body of having to 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 make that back and forth trip. Sure. Well, I want to thank everybody for being on the show, Monica Gonzalez, for giving us ten minutes early. Um, Russ, what, what, where what are you doing on Cottage Shop this week? Well, we have a we have a match on Saturday against Man City, so we'll be uh, focusing on that, and then. Uh, Two hours after that match, we will be having a post-match show on Saturday. So I've got two shows going on. We do a we do a preview show and a post-match show. So uh, so I'm very busy on Cottage Talk, my friend. Derek, are you guys are you and Brett recording a um, straight red card this week? So yeah, we're going to pick up the vidcasts uh, as we get closer to the World Cup. We probably won't for the next month because we have so much in the 11 stuff coming up, as you know, the season's just about to start. That's going to keep Brett and I totally, you know, busy as hell. But I will say this with, with Russ, as a, uh, a a fan of Fulham for the past uh, 12, 13 years, it, it's breaking my heart to see them relegated. So, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping for a miracle again, but we'll see what happens. Well, it happened six years ago, Derek, so I, it, it, I, I, I guess it. It's going to need an. I agree with you, though, Derek. It's going to, it's going to take a miracle, <laughs> but but yeah. you know, stranger things have happened. They sure have. We got sixty seconds left. I want to thank everybody, and I I almost guarantee you that next week with with Keith, the back half of the show is going to be all Man United. You're listening to the f- first edition <laughs> of the Yellow Card, and I want to thank everybody for being on. Next week, we're going to have more fun, and I might be able to show up after getting my dad from Argentina. Thank you, everybody, and this is the start of something new and very fun. Agreed. Good night, gentlemen. Thanks a lot, gang.